All right, we're going to do a part of our series on Genesis, and um, we've been in chapter one, and we've been in chapter one for, man, five, six weeks, uh, and um, I want to stay in chapter one, but I, I'm, I'm forced to move on, you know? Um, but just let me give you a little recap while you're tweeting somebody or whatever you do. Um, Here's what we've been talking about, Genesis 1-1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, right? Bereshit bara Elohim. God starts the whole thing. And Genesis 1, what we learn is a poem. And Genesis 1 tells us uh, the creation story uh, more about why than about how of creation. More about why than about how. And we've had the wrong debate going on in, in our culture that we need to lock in on. This is how exactly it happened. It was never trying to tell, tell us how God created. Uh, we are thrilled to have and enthusiastic to have the sciences. And the Bible celebrates that as well. Is it, is it Genesis or Psalm 19 that says, The heavens declare the glory of God. And that's what we just heard him singing about here. And over time... We've been encouraged to look at the heavens, right? And to see the beautiful, wonderful world that God created. And I am pro-science. We are all and should be pro-science. Go science. Stare at the heavens. Show more of the glory of God. The more magnificent it gets, the bigger God gets in my eyes. And I say, go science, go. All the nerds in the lab coats, get it done. We need you. And show us the pictures, right? And I mean it. And it shows the glory of God. It's, so the, the idea that Christians should hide and be worried what science discovers, that's ridiculous. So Genesis wasn't trying to tell us how. It was trying to tell us something different. Why? Genesis 1, we learned that it's good. So we sang about all morning. It's good. God looked at it. He made it. And he said, that's good. That's good. That's good. That's very good. And we learned that all what we have, our life, our lakes, our birds, our leaves, our snow, our ice storm, our every, it's all for us to enjoy, right? And yes, as you make your way home, but some of you will, some of you will take pictures of the ice forming on the trees and you'll send it to other relatives because it's beautiful. And then the sun hits, you're going to celebrate the goodness and enjoy. Uh, Remember I was telling you the commandment to God commands you to enjoy it. He makes it and he says, enjoy it. So we've also learned that the Bible is actually this huge story. It's a mega story. It's an epic movie. And the the movie starts, of course, there in Genesis, and there's an introduction to the key theme of what we call the Old Testament, which is the nation of Israel. And the big theme is the land, the land, the land. And right away, the theme is introduced. We're going to get more into it as the series goes on, but you can't lose sight of it. Quick, quick break. Two minutes of teaching. The Bible wasn't broke into chapter and verse. So big, so big, so big. It wasn't. It's there so you can reference. Well, where do I find this? And you say, oh, Genesis chapter 36, verse 7, right? So it's kind of gets you there. But to, to think that it's broken up this way misses it. But it was broken up very skillfully with literary usage. 
So we talked about this, and if you missed that, that Sunday, you have to go back and watch it, but it's the use of the land. The story of Genesis starts with the land. In, in the beginning, God created the sky and the land, the sky and the land. And it's a story about the land, and it ends with them losing their land. That's how the story ends. So if you watch the movie and it starts with this and it ends with this, you'd say, there's something going on. So don't miss the big feature, the big movie. Everybody go to a movie and there's like a little subplot within the plot? That's what happens all the time in the Bible. People know all the subplots. Very few people know the big plot. The writer was doing... And so he breaks it up with this idea of the land, the Pentateuch, the first five books of the Bible. Ends with... Moses surveying the land. You say, that's just a coincidence. That's just where... He, no, it's not a coincidence. It was about the land, right? And then, and then in, the, in the end, in Second Chronicles, you have King Zedekiah. His eyes are gouged out. Right before his eyes are gouged out, the last thing he sees are his sons killed before his eyes. And then, and then they're all taken out of the land. So this is a story about the nation of Israel. We'll talk later about what we call the New Testament, which is the story of Christ. But this is their story. And there's a lesson in the story. Anybody go to a movie and you you know, there's like a lesson, but they never actually tell you what the lesson is. You just have to get it. Wouldn't it be kind of cheesy? And they go, and the moral of the movie is be cheesy. You kind of get it. So they're hoping that this is so important. They're hoping that you get the lesson. But so many of us, you've only read part of the, you know, like you came in, you're eating popcorn halfway through the movie, and then you went back out, and you, I like this scene, and then you left, and you never tied the whole movie together. I gotta be honest with you, most of the, most, be nice here, well over 90% of the Christians I know have no idea what the big movie is. No clue. They come and go, get popcorn, you're getting snacks, you know what I mean? You know what I mean? I like this part, you know. And, and they pick their verses here and there, and, but they don't know the movie. And so one of the things I'm trying to do is just a small favor in this is to say, pay attention to the big story. And the big story, here was the big thing they were trying to say, and it's going to fit with Genesis chapter 2 very well. You're going to see this, is this. If you disobey, you're going to lose the land. If you obey, you're going to get to keep it. That's the big story. Why? Because they were out of their land, right? They were like, as I was talking about last Sunday morning, they were like, you know, Michigan fans or Michigan State fans, right? Family getting transferred to Columbus, Ohio, the center of hell and destruction, right? And, 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 and then your kid comes home one day wearing a Buckeyes jersey. To your horror, to your shock, you're like, no, that's not what we are. I don't care. I've got a couple of Buckeyes just glaring at me right now. Okay. <laughs> Stay with a sense of humor. Okay. So you, you, you bring them back home. You go, no, that's not what we are. We're this. We're Spartans. We're Wolverines. And you're trying to re-educate them. That's why we have the Old Testament. They're in Babylon. They're in captivity. And the kids are coming home wearing go Babylon, go gear. And mom and dad are like, no, 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 no. Hey, hey, we, we're special. We just haven't obeyed. And so we lost our land. And was, they were trying to get everyone to identify with the nation. And they were trying to get them to see that, you know what? We've got to be faithful 
to what God tells us so we can have our land again, so we can be a people again. You can fact check me on it. I'm pretty close. None of you will. That's why I said that. I ain't worried about it, <laughs> to be honest with you. Sam, you know, I'm going to think about it five minutes after I get out of here, I'll tell you that. So what's Genesis 2? Um, and and like I got to tell you, I wish I had time. I don't have time to talk about the cosmic Christ of, of Genesis 1. And, and tied in with John 1, 1, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and, and John 1, 15, where, where John the Baptist was, says, well, he came after me, but he was before me. So, quick question, what was Jesus doing before he was Jesus? Nothing? Most people haven't thought about it. What was Christ doing before he was Yeshua? He existed. Well, you can think about that. I don't have time today. Another seminar. Here we go. Genesis chapter 2. This is the second creation account. And this is important. You've read in the, in the first chapter about the... This is the second creation account. It's very different from the first one, the poem. And Genesis 2, 4 says, This is the account of the heavens and the earth when they were created. We already read all about that. Now, a lot of times, people just try to synthesize things together and make this is all one fluid story. People have done this with the four Gospels. They make a harmony of the Gospels. I want to make every piece fit. Why? If they wanted all the fit, they would have just gave you one. They're giving you different angles and a different perspective and telling a very different story. If you're, let's say in your family, if you have two kids and they go to uh, the zoo and they're young, and they both come home, and you ask them separately, how was the zoo? What did you do? And they both could have went to the same exhibits, done the same exact things. How many are going to get a completely different story? Completely. Why? Because one of them's fascinated with this, and one's focused on this. So these two creation accounts are very different. The first creation account, man, humankind, Adam, is the pinnacle, the crown of creation. The last that's created the sixth day. In the second creation account, man's first. It's very clear there. It says there was no shrubs on the ground. There was nothing. And so God makes man, and he puts him there. And then he builds everything else after that. It's very important. It's sort of like having the, you know, the gift of having two eyes. What they say is if you have two eyes, it's not only that it helps you see. It helps you with depth perception. By having two stories, they're focused on two different things, and it gives us something that we wouldn't have with just one, like having four Gospels. Or they say with two ears, it's not just that you can hear, but because you have two, you can tell which direction the sound came from. So we're blessed to have two accounts that tell us something, but the second account, the guy has an agenda. He's trying to say something to us that's going to help us understand. The first one, it's all good. We've been focused on that, and I hope you understand. It's good, it's good, it's good. The second account gives you, uh, it starts, they call this the, the account of Adam and Eve. And this is where the garden comes in. And this is the part where Eve is taken from man's side. And then this is where the snake comes in, and the trees come in, and the disobedience comes in. 
This is so important. Please listen. I, what I hope this, this message will do for you is this. One of the things. I hope it will make your faith sustainable. Sustainable. Um, you, you remember the story that Jesus told about the, the seed that gets dropped in the soil? And they get dropped. And then one of the seeds, the soil is shallow. And so the seed jumps up quickly. And then it says the sun comes. And what does it do? It causes the plant to wilt because the, sh- the, the, the soil is shallow. It's, it's called the rocky soil. But you have to think of it as a thin, a thin layer of soil with a rock underneath it. Instead of a bunch of rocks. Right? Thin soil. So... The, the, the faith grows, the plant grows, but when, when challenges, when the sun comes, it wilts because the roots are not what? Are you with me? It wilts. Now, a quick question for you, all you farmers out there. Is the sun good for plants or bad for plants? Anybody stay through photosynthesis? How many know it's essential for plants? So... If something is essential, what's the problem? The depth of the soil. Listen very carefully. The problem is not what science is finding. The problem is not this particular group or these people. The problem is the depth of our knowledge and our soil. The depth that we have. We kind of have like a one version. Anybody know a Pollyanna? Anybody have a Pollyanna friend? Everything's great. Everything's wonderful. And how many know I am pro-positive? I am big on being positive. But here's the other thing that we know. If every once in a while, with your positivity, and this is great, and this is wonderful, you have to marry just a little bit of reality. Is anybody with me? Like, yeah, you just got to marry a little reality in here. This is so important. Genesis 1 and 2 give us both perspectives. God is good. It's good. But how many know... There are challenges. Our world's a little broken. We have problems. Somebody was telling me about the friend who plays music for a church. Played for years. Played in the, in the worship band like the Katinas. Loves worship music. Loves to give praise to God. Loves to help other people sing praise to God. And in, in, in his 30s, lost his wife. Can't play anymore. Can't do it. Can't do the music right now. Can't feel the praise erupting. I got it. I got got nothing negative to say for that, brother. I got it. I also understand this. Some of us have been so baked in a one-sided Pollyanna you know, that we don't ever marry reality. That, yes, this world's beautiful, but this world is a little broken too. There's some challenges. And if you don't have both perspectives, your, your depth is missing something. You send your kids out into college or out into this world, and you want them to know that God is good and everything's good, but you also want them to what? Have your head on a swivel, as we say in football. You, you, you look around, pay attention. It's not perfect. You, you, you have to marry a little bit of reality. And so people get disappointed. They get hurt. 
Because our world isn't perfect. It's beautiful. It's beautiful. We talked about this one Sunday. It's not perfect. We're not going for perfect. We're just going for good. But listen. Sometimes it can feel like God has disappointed us. You know? And then all these questions come in. Isn't this... It's, this chapter 2 introduces the brokenness. Quick question. How many here have ever had it where your kids, your kids were disappointed in you? My kids were disappointed in me. Some of you know. I'm surprised that some of you can't say yes or you're lying or you don't have any. Right? I mean, is it true, Sam? They're disappointed. Now, here's what I didn't say. I didn't say you disappointed them. Okay? So I'm going to give you a chance to vote again. How many of you can say, my kids at some time in their life have been disappointed in me? Okay, now now the next question is, have there been times when it was you that disappointed them? And have there been times when their expectations were wrong and they were disappointed in you but because of their own expectations? This is so important when we think about God and our relationship to God. You know, people talk, I hear this all the time, personal relationship with God, personal relationship with God, personal, I mean, this is a phrase that if you've been around like the church, it's been used and used and used, but I just think so misunderstood and so poor at times. Let me say something that I think. If you've never been disappointed in God, you probably don't have a personal relationship with them. I mean, I'm not disappointed in all these other people in the world. I'm disappointed in the people that are close to me. Right? Either because my expectations are wrong or because they didn't do what I want. That's not what I'm sorting out right now. I'm just saying, once you get in a close relationship with somebody, there's going to be disappointment. The idea, this false idea that you're going to fall in love with God or come to Christ or say a prayer or do whatever, and then from that day on, all you're ever going to do is jump and clap and sing and never have any questions, never doubt, never a disappointment, is ruining our faith. And then when the sun comes up, persecution, something, reality, the heat comes on, we wilt. Because we have a Pollyanna view of God instead of a real view. A personal relationship would have to mean there's disappointment. That's the only thing it could mean. In chapter 2 and chapter 3, we start to get other words in there. There's good and evil. There's all these other things. Just as you do with a child, you have to start to introduce them to the idea that in the world, isn't it, that you pick your times? You want them to think everything's wonderful. You don't want them running around scared, but you have to at some time say, now look, don't do, be careful, you know, watch the... 
This is what's really important when we think about having a sustainable relationship with God. Not one that's going to be there as long as we have a good job and the money's flowing and everyone's healthy, but a relationship that's deeply personal, that's going to stick through thick and thin when things are good and when things aren't. And whether it's our perception of what God should be doing for us that's created the disappointment, I don't know. But I think everybody goes through this. But if, if you only hold on to one-sided view of God, you're bound to give that up. You're bound to wilt. It's not sustainable. But just like in any good relationship that goes through ups and downs, through disappointments... Hmm? Anybody ever been disappointed by a close friend or a spouse? Or just nudge them. Right, 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 they're right there. I mean, hey, uh, uh, just kidding, just kidding. Save it, save it. Uh, Any time there really is closeness, there's going to be disappointment. But you go through that together. You sort it out. And you move on and you're closer after. You and God are going to be closer after this disappointment. You're going to be closer. If you let, listen, if you let your heart and mind expand your concept of God. If you take him out of his Santa suit. Huh? Well, one of my good friends this year got me a surfing Santa Claus. I almost brought him on stage today. I should have, right? Santa with a surf. But see, this is our view of God. Just, well, I just pray and I, I be a good boy and he gives me everything I want. But after your faith grows, you realize that that's not exactly, God doesn't exactly fit in the Santa Claus category. So humans make the wrong choice. Now we're entering into the story of Adam in the garden, the trees, right? The trees. Now, I don't think I'm going to have time to break into this. Let me just give you this little quick one on the side. Um, People have read into this story the idea of what they call original sin, right? A lot of churches in America have been built on this foundation. That is not the foundation of Orchard Grove. Let me be very clear. I'll disappoint you every single day if that's what you believe. If you believe that people are originally depraved, right? And, and let me be polite, but the more Baptist you grew up, the more you believe you're depraved, right? And so a few weeks ago, I was talking to, about this, like, we don't think that. We don't think our little kids, our little children are depraved, but we've bought into the theology that somebody told us that that's what we're supposed to believe because Adam did this. This is all this story means. Adam chose the wrong thing. Like all of us from time to time have done. Can I get an amen even though that's not our deal here? I mean, duh. Who's had the two trees in front of them? Who's had the two roads? Who's had the two options? Who's had... And you've taken... (laughs) Excuse me, the wrong one. Okay, check. Now I get that. Doesn't mean that I inherited something from him and now I'm some depraved human being and not... No. It just is showing us Adam 
The word Adam is the same word for humankind. Humankind. So you can, if, if it helps you, you can think of him as Adam Smith, who lived at 777 Euphrates Boulevard, right? At Paradise Park. You can think of that Adam. But you could see Adam being a, a prototype for humanity because of his very name. By the way, the, the name Adam, Adama, is dirt, earth, dirt. There's a lot going on in that whole thing. It's, but if it's prototypical, then it's saying, this is what a lot of us do. Listen, and again, it's the story of Israel. So this is, what this is what he's trying to say. When they read this story, when they were told the story, they were like, if you're, if you're like Adam, you're going to get kicked out of the land. We've been like Adam. We got booted. It says nothing about heaven. It says nothing about hell. It says nothing, it says nothing about that. This is just a story to help us understand how they viewed if they were disobedient, they would be removed from the land. But it also shows us that in life, there are these choices and consequences. Choices and consequences. Choices and what? Consequences. It's just simple. Not that deep. Pick one, you get this. You pick this, you get that. How many of you ever tried to have this conversation with your kids? There's two trees. There's two budgets. You know, there, there's this and this. There's this way and there's this dorm and that dorm. And there's choices and consequences. But if there's anything I want to just maybe drive deeply in this, when we see a precious little human life, we don't start with, this is a depraved being. You're bad. We start with, you're good. And you're, you might make some wrong choices and you might need some guidance and you, you, it it's, can be a tough world out there. And that's chapter two. But you start with, you're good. But let me, let me just say this. That concept of original sin, by the way, initiated by a guy named Augustine, you know, 400 years after Christ. So this is not how people thought. But it's gotten baked into our system. So people go around saying, I'm just a sinner. I'm just a this. I'm just a that. And my hand's up. I, I make so many mistakes. Anybody? Like, so many. I mean, but I, I, I can't start and say... I, now, a few Sundays ago, I was like, you don't get your little toddler and go, come here, you little sinner, you little wretch. You, you can't. Your, your, your psyche won't let you because you're not that depraved yourself. You, you, you get down and you go, come here, champ. Come here, because you believe you start with the best. Now, let me, let me just say this. So for years, it's, it's God loves us. God loves us. But I think the underlying thing with that has been it's like God loves us because he has to, because he's God and he's loving and that's what he has to do. It's sort of, it's on him to do it. But what if God loves us or God likes us because there's a lot to like about us? What if it's on us? That he sees Sam because there's so much to love about this guy. I love this guy. Do you love your kids? 
because it's your obligation? No. You just find all these amazing things, any excuse in the world to love them, and you just do.